All right. Again, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. As we look at, uh, as we start this sermon series, Walking in Light, uh, today looking at the purification process. Um, uh, again, we start a sermon series, uh, this idea of walking in light. A couple weeks ago, we looked at, at what it was like to, to accept the light and to walk in the light and to walk in. Uh, not in darkness. A lot of times in, uh, we were looking specifically at John chapter, John's Gospel chapter 3, and we were looking at the idea that a lot of times as, as, as human beings we gravitate towards darkness. We have a hard time um, because we're comfortable there. And in the light we become exposed, and that can be an uncomfortable place to be. And so we're looking at this idea of what it means to continuously walk in light. And, we're, and really all through 1 John, as we look at... Uh, really more in depth, more detail about what, uh, what John really wants to teach us, we see that ultimately this theme of walking in light, uh, of walking uh, in continuous relationship with Jesus Christ, is something that, uh, that 1 John uh, definitely stays with uh, throughout the entire book. And so we want to look at this idea uh, as, as, again... Um, what we, how we are supposed to experience everything in the life and perspective of the living relationship with Jesus Christ. This morning, we specifically want to look at this idea of a purification process that takes place. Once we come to know Christ, once we come to be in relationship with Jesus, something happens, and we're going to have to look at that, and we're going to see uh, what takes place in our lives and how purification um, is a process. Um, I want to talk a little bit about a purification process um, that, that I have been very, um, very surprised and very, uh, very happy with over the years, and that is with water. Um, and no, I'm not selling anything. I'll go ahead and just sell it. <laughs> when I start, when I, every time I mention something about this, I uh, usually I get those questions. Are you selling these filters? No, I'm not. But uh, I guess I could maybe um, if they give me a little bit of money or maybe uh, sign me up, I could market it. I think I could do a pretty good job marketing it because I love this product. It's called Zero Water, and you can get it at Target. Uh, you can get it at Bed Bath & Beyond. Uh, uh, first, it came out. You had to order it online, but now you're starting to see it more and more in stores. I think even Walmart's got it now. Um, it's over there with the filters, but I'm telling you, it is more than just some standard uh, Brita filter. It beats Brita filter uh, uh, like it's it's younger brother, I'm telling you. Uh, it, it's, um, yeah, some of you really got that, but um, uh, if you've got a younger brother. Uh, but, uh, but no, Brita, if, you, if you're measuring the, the purity of water, uh, the easiest way to measure that is by measuring the, the dissolved solids, the total dissolved solids, the TDS, uh, that is in your water. If you, if you get a glass of water out of the tap, and you measure the total dissolved solids that are in that water. Around this area in North Carolina, you're gonna it's going to measure around a, a little over 100 uh, TDS. Now, that can be different things. It can be different chemicals. It can be all kinds of things, minerals, that kind of thing that you don't want in your water. Now, obviously, it's not going to hurt you, but it might not taste the best. You can taste uh, that, the, those uh, imperfections. Uh, if you take water and you put it through those Brita filters, I've measured it because I have a TDS measure. Uh, I've because that's what zero water comes with, and uh, it, you can measure Brita filter. Uh, Brita filter water measures it, it. It will it'll take some of those impurities out. 
uh, but it measures at about a 60, 65, I think is probably about the best I've gotten out of Brita filter. But zero water does what it says. It measures out to be zero. Um, when, you, when it goes through the filter, it has a certain patented filter pro filtration process that it goes through. Uh, and you can buy a pitcher, or you can also put, uh, you can get one of those tabletop uh, water dispensers, which is what we have. And it makes water, uh, again, to have zero total dissolved solids. Now, if you measured bottled water, it should measure zero. I've actually had a couple of bottled waters that I've measured that actually measured one or two. I mean, you're, you're talking basically zero, but, but it's going to take that water and it's going to put it back at zero, which it should be the equivalent of bottled water. And I'm telling you, again, I, I, really, um, I really feel like I should get a little bit of a kickback because I, I really do. I really can sell that product because it is a good product. Not that expensive. It's a little bit more, but I'm telling you, it takes all the imperfections out and it makes that water as pure as it can be. It tastes so good. Uh, uh, that's what we want to look at this morning, that as we become Christians, we go through this process in which the impurities are taken out. That doesn't mean that we completely stop sin. It doesn't mean that we completely root it all out of our lives. But what it does mean is that when we go before the throne of God, when we go before Him on that judgment day, He will look upon us, and because of Jesus Christ, because He filters out uh, all of the imperfections in our lives, He gives us the ability to stand before God, but stand before that throne and to be looked upon as pure. And so this morning we're going to see that our text teaches us first by clarifying purity, then by choosing purity, by confessing purity, and creating purity, we can understand more clearly what it means to live as one who would walk in the light, as one who was constantly walking in relationship with Jesus Christ and in light. Look at verse 5, if you will. If we look at this, we look at clarifying purity to begin with. Verse 5, chapter 1 of John, uh, 1 John. This is the message we have heard from, the, from Him and declare to you, God is light, in Him there is no darkness at all. You know, there are some things that just don't mix. You've heard oil and water don't mix. Uh, I can remember started doing a pro science project when I was really young. And uh, again, taking oil and taking some water and putting some food coloring in it and making this really neat little bottle where I would tilt it over and the oil would settle down and the water would rise to the top and vice versa. No matter how you turned it, it would not mix. Uh, oil and water just don't mix. Uh, there are other things that just don't mix. Carolina and Duke fans just don't mix. <laughs> Uh, again, older brothers and younger brothers just don't mix sometimes. There are some things in life that just don't mix. Here in our scripture, it tells us that God is light and in Him there is no darkness. Light and dark cannot exist together. God and light cannot exist with sin and death. It just does not mix. So clarifying this truth becomes essential when understanding the revelation that Jesus is the light of the world and He comes to be a revelation to that light and identifies Himself as the light of the world. He does so in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 12. Also in chapter 9, verse 5, Paul talks a lot about uh, Jesus being the light and, and here we see Jesus as the incarnation of the divine light for us to experience ultimate illumination. 
With this revelation comes two realities associated with God as light. First of all, God as light provides us with revelation. It provides us with salvation. God as light provides illumination in dark places and is how God reveals Himself to us to show us how to live. God, in the very beginning, created us, and He tried to have a relationship with us, but because of our sin, we separated ourselves, and we got cast out of the garden. And so it wasn't until Jesus came along that we fully got to see God, and we got to see how He would live, and how He would have us to live. It is Jesus Christ that provides us with that example. The point here is that God is light, in our lives gives us direction. When we are clouded by the tough choices in our lives, God provides illumination for us. He lights the way. So the question becomes, do we look at our relationship with the light as indeed giving us direction on how to live and how to conduct ourselves? Which is what the light and walking in the light and accepting a relationship with Jesus Christ ultimately does. The second uh, great revelation is a bit about God as light and clarifying this is the re- we come to accept the reality that only when we view the light, Jesus as light, and have illumination do we experience salvation. God as light symbolizes the flawless perfection that is God. It was the, the original design for us. God as light reveals ultimately His holiness and His set-apartness. He is set apart from us. He is the one who, who is in control, the one that deserves our praise, deserves our worship, our obedience. And we likewise cannot mix with that. We, we again, uh, with God, are like oil and water because of our sin. We cannot approach this light because without God in our lives we ultimately live in darkness. We do not mix. Sinful man does not mix with holy God. Which is where our text starts to pick up and clarify God as light, yes, as holy and set apart. Through this purification process, though, we can stand before Him once more. We can be with Him once again. The impossible can become possible. That oil and water can coexist. Not for anything we do, but because of what He does. First, John starts this purification process conversation, if you will, by dispelling several myths or several claims that some might have believed in in these ancient times. And I would say that we often sometimes believe even today. He teaches about a purification process that takes place through a relationship with Jesus Christ, which is where we must all start. And so the first claim, the first myth, if you will, that that 1 John begins to debunk is that some claim to have fellowship with God, yet they did not fully understand the choice that we were, they were facing or that they were choosing. So in order to debunk this claim, we have to make a choice. We have to choose purity. So we see that, that purity is clarified in, 
defining the difference between Jesus Christ and us. God is holy, us as sinful man. And then we see that we are then to choose purity. Look, if you will, we're picking up in verses 6 and 7. If we claim, this is that first claim, if we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, so if we claim that we have a relationship, we are Christians, we follow Christ, we are obedient to Him, yet we walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sin. There are people today who would claim to be a Christian, who would claim to be obedient to Christ, yet they do not choose to accept the teachings that Christ gave. They don't claim to really dive into His Word and want to know. They don't even want to know what Jesus teaches because they don't believe that that was for today. They believe it was for another time. They believe that today we live by a different code, if you will. We live by different ethics. And so uh, we, we just ignore the teachings of Christ. We ignore the Scripture's teachings, even though we claim there are some that claim to be Christian. The Scripture, though, tells us that if we walk in the light, then we are in the light and we should have certain evidences of that light in our lives. When I was at East Carolina, I worked at the Wright Auditorium and I worked as a sound and light tech and I got to learn a lot about different productions and all the things that go in them. One of the first things that they do when you become a sound or light tech at at the auditorium as they stick you way up there in the catwalk which is the big uh, uh, walkway at the very top where all the light, a lot of the lights are and they stick you at the spotlight and they stick you up there ultimately because it's just fairly easy process but you still have to learn how to conduct that spotlight uh, when you have the person that you're focusing on you want to there are certain things you want to make sure that the bottom of that light is focused on their feet so that again their whole body is illuminated and so that they can see again where they're going, where they're walking. And so if you're a performer and you're looking at the other end, I don't know if you've ever been a performer and have been on stage and had a spotlight on you, but it can be difficult at times. You have to know where you're going. You have to know that play inside and out because if that spotlight's on you, where that spotlight goes, you can see. But you can't see a lot of times beyond that spotlight because the light is shining uh, only on you. If you get outside of that spotlight, it becomes hard to see because the light's in your eyes and you can't see what's around you. Well, the reality is that life as a, as a true Christian, as a genuine Christian, genuine person has a relationship or a fellowship with God, is like walking in, on a dark stage of life in which there is a circle of light cast by Jesus Christ focused on us. So as we walk in the light, we move slowly forward as to walk in that light and we know where we're going. But if we get outside of that light and we get into that darkness, we can become a little bit disoriented. So it's when we get out of relationship with Christ, when we get outside of His teachings that we are in danger of walking in darkness, stumbling around, tripping up, causing all kinds of mayhem and chaos in and our lives and 
and in the lives of those around us. We bump into people. We, again, we cause all kinds of chaos. And it's because of the consequences, a lot of times, of our actions and of our choices and ultimately of our sin, of living in darkness. And that can become the danger of getting outside of that spotlight, of giving outside of that relationship and outside of the teachings of Jesus. So how do we remain in that spotlight, you might ask? Well, living in the spotlight is equivalent to living a life compatible with the light. Living a life that is compatible with Jesus and how He lived and how He showed us the example of how to live. Attempting to live without sin. Attempting to root sin out of our lives and to make choices that line up with the teachings of of Christ and ultimately with God's desires. On the contrary, living in darkness means to live without the benefit of divine illumination and guidance and so to live in sin and accepting of that sin. We cannot claim, the scripture says, we cannot claim to have fellowship with God and yet walk in darkness, to walk in in sin, to accept a lifestyle of sin. There has to be a choice to live for something greater, for something better, to live according to a different standard. The standard is high when it comes to living in the light, when it comes to living as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's the opposite of living in darkness. Responding to the illumination of truth that shows us how we ought to live To live as God Himself would live, as Jesus Christ lived, walking in the light. Once we have find ourselves in fellowship with God and others, we see that we choose a lifestyle of purity and become conscious of what we had once been separated, being sin. We become conscious of our sins, we become conscious of our choices, We become a little bit more acquainted with what it's like to live in darkness and what it's like to live in a light. And we see there's a a very big difference. And so the longer we live in that light, the longer we live in relationship with Christ, the more we ought to be able to understand the difference. When facing this reality, the human instinct is to hide in more darkness. The instinct for us is to, again, gravitate where we're comfortable So we're taught to fight against that human instinct and come into the light. And to our amazement, the dark blemishes start to disappear. The scripture teaches us something actually happens. The blood of Jesus cleanses us. It purifies us. When we acknowledge and confess that we are infected with sin, that we have a difficulty, we have a problem at times, rooting out that darkness, staying away from that darkness, wanting to be comfortable in that darkness. Thus, we are led to the next refuted claim that First John starts to teach about, and that is that we can be without sin. Once we have chosen purity, we must then live a life confessing purity. So we look at this idea, we've clarified purity, we, have under, we understand that we have to make a choice, that there has to be a choosing of purity, and we start to see there needs to be some confession. Look at verses 8 and 9 in 1 John chapter 1. It says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, 
and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. I feel like we still live today, and they lived back then, in a day, and I know we live, in a day of moral relativism. We live in a day in which morality is what we make of it. It seems like the only thing that is wrong is to say that there is stuff that's wrong. I mean, it's, that's like the one thing we can't do, which is a little bit contrary because that's contradictory if we say that we can't say that. Because if we're so accepting of everything, then why can't we be accepting to the fact that there are things that are wrong? You know, right? That makes sense. If we're going to be accepting of everything, that's kind of the argument back. But we do. We live in a day of moral relativism in which the only thing that is wrong is what's wrong to us. We have to accept everything and everybody to the point that nothing can be declared to be wrong. Well, that's what they were struggling with even back then. It's, it's amazing. A lot of times we look at Scripture, and I think sometimes the first, our gut feeling is to say, you know, that was so many years ago, how can it really still be applicable today? But we start to see that human nature, after all these years, after thousands of years, really has not evolved that much. You know, we really have not come quite as far sometimes as we think because some of the things they struggle with, we struggle with the exact same thing. Scripture tells us that those who believed in this moral relativism but believed that they were without sin deceived themselves and the truth is not in them. In other words, it's really a way of fairy tale living. It's what I would call fairy tale living. It's, it's a way of make-believe. It's a way of, of convincing yourself that everything's okay. Again, that everything is, is fine and dandy and, and at the end of the day, you know, all will be well. To confess our sin, though, the Scripture teaches us to, ultimately is to face up to the reality that we don't live in a pretend world, we don't live in a fairy tale world, that there are consequences. See, in fairy tale living, a lot of times, there are no consequences. No matter what takes place, no matter what happens, there's always a happy ending. Well, in the reality of life, the truth is, is there's not always a happy ending. Now, sometimes our choices, sometimes our decisions have real consequences, and they, and they, and they mean that we ultimately have to pay sometimes for what we ultimately find ourselves to be in. Scripture teaches us that if we sin, if we remain unconfessed, if sin remains unconfessed, if it remains unforgiven, then the Scripture says the truth is not in us. The light is not in us. We have chosen effectively not to live by this light. This is, this is where, again, when we talk about wanting to gravitate towards that darkness because we like it a little bit too much. Remember, again, it was John's Gospel, chapter 3, that taught that we tend, that humanity, again, the human instinct is to gravitate towards sin because, again, we like it. It's where we're comfortable. Well, the same theme is here. Instead of claiming we are without sin, we are taught to confess our sins. If we do, He is faithful and just to forgive us, the Scripture says. 
to purify us, to cleanse us. Now this is not a, a catch-all, forgive us from all our sins kind of a confession. This is confess each sin and each sin will be forgiven. You know, I think sometimes again, we begin, begin to become, even, even in attempting to live uh, right and in relationship with God, we, we sometimes make that fairy tale living uh, as Christians. And we just say again, at the end of the day, we're going to pray for forgiveness. He's going to forgive us and wash us up from, purify from our sins and we're going to be good. And we're going to be, and, and everything's going to be good and that's, everything's going to be great. Well, again, sometimes we still have to face the reality of the consequences of our choices and the consequences of our sin. And the scripture doesn't say at the end of the night, let's just go into our room and pray for forgiveness and all will be well. It says specifically to forget, to forget, be forgiven from our sins. We must confess our sins. There is a relationship that must take place between us and God to the point that we are willing to acknowledge that, yes, this is indeed a specific sin we struggle with and is a specific area in our lives in which we need assistance and we need forgiveness. If that's where our genuine heart is, the scripture then says that he is faithful and just and will forgive us. Psalm 32, 3, speaking about sin, says, When I keep silent, my bones wasted away. Sin ultimately separates us. It eats us alive. That's why we must root it out of our lives and must attempt to avoid it at all costs because it eats us. You know, we talk about guilt eating us alive, that sometimes when we are, especially when we're young, we might do something and we try to avoid it and we try to avoid confessing and telling and owning up to it. But ultimately, again, if we're, we're raised right, uh, sometimes that guilt just starts to eat us alive and we can't keep it silent and we ultimately have to confess it. They say a lot of times this is where criminals can sometimes just finally get caught, that, they're, that finally that their conscience starts to eat them alive. And no matter what they do, they can't seem to get their lives back on track, and so they must confess. And so they go in and they turn themselves in. And if they didn't do that, then ultimately the crime would have never been solved. Now, some don't have that kind of conscience. Some don't have that kind of, of teaching in their lives. But if we are in Christ, if we follow the teachings of Christ, then we accept this idea and this truth that there should be something inside of us that acknowledges that sin does eat us alive, that it does separate us, and we ought to want to root it from our lives. Sin is regarded as making us guilty in the sight of God and therefore in need of forgiveness and also as making us unclean in God's sight and therefore in need of purification. To purify us from the affliction of sin is to remove the defiling effect of sin either by avoidance of sin altogether or by the pardoning or by the forgiveness of sins already committed, which thus becomes the importance of confession. We have our part in purification, in our role to play. But God has His part as well. He is the one who ultimately creates purity for us. The last refuted claim implies that God isn't who He says He is and cannot do what He says He can do. 
Let's look, picking up in verse 10 of, of again, 1 John chapter 1. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the entire world, the whole world. You ever told a joke that won't funny? (laughs) You ever told a joke and just got nothing, no laughs? It's quite embarrassing, isn't it? The joke then becomes on us, right? The joke comes back on us. If we've ever sinned, then it's God, if we say we never sinned, if we say that we don't have a problem with sin, then it's God who's made out to be the joke. It would be the worst joke ever told. The sending of Jesus becomes irrelevant. The celebration that, we took, that took place last Sunday becomes irrelevant. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short. Verse 2, verse 1 says, We have one, though, that speaks on our behalf. We have an advocate. The Greek word there for one who speaks for us is parakletos. It means one that comes alongside of, that stands in the place of. It's one who helps. It's the helper. It's what we refer to as the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the, the helper, the great helpmate, if you will. It's the person who intercedes on our behalf. And we see that in the early church, as Jesus is teaching, as he's going to the cross, he teaches about a, a paraclete, a, a Holy Spirit that will come alongside of us and will intercede on his behalf and will stand in the place of His presence. Jesus is ultimately the advocate before the throne of God. He will be the one who covers up our sin. He's the atoning sacrifice, it says in in verse 2, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. In other words, what He does for you, He does for me. What He does for you and me, He does for those in this community. What He does for those in this community, He does for the entire world. And we're then seen as, as those advocates. We are then called upon as those that would go out and create the opportunity to share that testimony. You see, it's, it's, it's God who creates purity for us, but it's us who creates the opportunity to share about that purity. Jesus creates purity in and for us. You know, I mentioned earlier about telling a joke where everyone didn't laugh. Well, in contrast, you know what it's like to tell a joke and the whole room just burst out in laughter and everyone just feels good and and it makes us feel good, doesn't it? It makes us feel good when we can tell a joke and everyone laughs. It definitely makes us feel better than when nobody laughs. If you're on a stage, if you're performing on stage, again, I mentioned earlier about being in the spotlight, 
It can feel good to, to take that bow and to look out and see uh, people just standing in applause and giving you that standing ovation. It can boost our self-esteem. It can make us feel good. And in, in its furthest extreme, it can start to boost our egos. We have to be careful that when we create those testimonial moments to share about this purification process, that we not let our backs ultimately get into a corner in which we are padded on our own backs, in which we have our faith egos stroked. We have to be careful not to become misled about who gets the credit and who ultimately creates the purity for us. It's not by anything we do. It's by what Christ has done for us. You see, we walk in light. And yes, we make choices to walk in light. But it's what happens when we're there that we have no role in. And what Jesus Christ has done for us and how much He loves us and how much He wants to be in relationship with us. Where are we in the purification process? Where are you today on the purification process? Has it been clarified enough? Have you chosen to enter into this purification process? Have you chosen Christ? Have you chosen that relationship? Have you chosen to live in that light? Have you confessed purity? Have you confessed the need for purity? Have you confessed your sins? Is that something you do on a daily basis? And finally, have we accepted the one who creates the purity? And then are we willing to create moments to give testimony about this purification process? Are we walking in the light of purification in such a way that others see the need for a relationship with Jesus Christ? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that, Lord, we do struggle with sin, that we do struggle with this desire sometimes to be comfortable and to be in a place in which, Lord, we want to avoid acknowledging that we, are, we have needs. We want to take care of ourselves and we want to be in control. But your word teaches us that we are in need of purification, that we are in need of cleansing because of sin and because of our choices and because sometimes we like that darkness a little too much. Father, we, we need Jesus Christ in our lives. And we acknowledge that walking in the light is a process that starts with purification. It starts with acknowledging that we have a need. And that those needs can only be met by Jesus Christ in a relationship with Him. And that, Lord, only by His teachings and only by walking in, in, in the light of those teachings and accepting those teachings can we accept a, a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. May that be the challenge for us today. And finally, may we go out into this world and create moments to share about this purification process that needs to take place. Can we show others that we are walking with Christ and the need to walk in Christ and to need to walk in light? 
by the way that we live and by the, by the opportunities that we create to share the testimony of what God has done in our lives. So Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.